Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Listeners and welcome to Ohio Mysteries. This is our 10-minute mystery edition, a little slice of intrigue in the middle of your week. I'm your co-host, Steve Yoder, and with me is our storyteller and journalist, Paula Schleiss. Hi, everybody. Hey, Steve, did you ever see those horror movies called Final Destination? I probably have. It's been so long, though. Well, the theme is that somebody has a vision that enables them to prevent a disaster, like a plane crash. But death won't be cheated, and one at a time, it comes to claim the survivors who were supposed to die in the main event. I thought of those movies when I first heard of the case of Elizabeth Hawking, a British woman who was immigrating to Ohio when she survived the sinking of the Titanic, but then died under mysterious circumstances two years to the date that her fellow travelers perished beneath those cold North Atlantic waters. Hmm. Crazy, huh? Yeah, she escaped death one time, but it came It came back exactly two years later. So here's the story of Elizabeth Hawking with a nod to our good friend Mark J. Price of the Akron Beacon Journal, who wrote about her for his weekly history column several years ago. Elizabeth Hawking, they called her Eliza, had had a pretty full life by 1912. She lived in Cornwall, England, where she had seven children with her first husband, William Hawking, who was a baker. Uh, Two of her babies died, and her eldest son, William, reportedly left for South Africa one day and never returned. But she remained close with her other four children. Now, Eliza remarried and had another daughter, But she lost that husband, too, as well as that daughter, to epilepsy at the age of eight. There were indications it had been an unhappy, abusive marriage. Eliza took her first married name back and made preparations for a new start on the other side of the ocean. You see, in 1911, her sons George and Sidney and her son-in-law Sibley Richards moved to Akron, Ohio. They lived on Rhodes Avenue and worked in the city's rubber factories. The plan was for them to make enough money to bring the entire family over. Now, 22-year-old George got terribly sick before their first Christmas in Akron, typhoid fever. He left his job at Akron's Diamond Rubber Company and sailed back to England to recuperate, and his mother helped bring him back to health. But Sydney 
and Sibley kept working, and after a year, they had saved enough money for the big move. So on April 10, 1912, the Hawking family departed for the port in Southampton with their second-class tickets for the maiden voyage of the new luxury liner Titanic, which, of course, was famously billed as being unsinkable. Along with Eliza, who was now 54 years old, and her son George, were her daughters Emily and Nellie, who were both in their 20s, Emily's two children, 3-year-old William and 10-month-old baby Sibley, and Eliza's sister, Ellen Wilkes. They had been given a big send-off back in their hometown of Penzance. George had belonged to the YMCA choir there, and the entire choir showed up to sing as the Hawkings boarded the train for the coast. Death, it would seem, first came calling for Eliza Hawking four days later, on April 14, 1912. It was 11.40 p.m. when the Titanic, traveling through the dark and forbidding North Atlantic waters, struck an iceberg, and the unthinkable happened. The ship sideswiped the berg, tearing holes through sections of ship that had been walled off from each other specifically to stop a collision from affecting too much of the ship. In other words, the act of trying to avoid the iceberg by steering away from a head-on collision is actually what doomed it. Eliza's daughter Emily described the night, saying she didn't even know what happened till her mother woke her. Here's a quote for Emily. I had put the children in bed and had gone to bed myself. We had been making good time all day. The ship was rushing through the sea at a tremendous rate, and the air on the deck was cold and crisp. I didn't hear the collision, for I was asleep, but my mother came and shook me. Anyway, her sister Nellie felt the ship rock suddenly. She jumped out of bed and asked the steward what was wrong, but he said reassuringly, Oh, nothing much, child. Go back to bed. Nellie didn't go back to bed because after speaking with the steward, she saw people walking up the passageway wearing their life belts. So I dressed completely, she once wrote, and by that time the steward told me to go up on deck. My brother George was one of the first to help fill the lifeboats. He told me to get in, and I didn't want to, but he insisted. Nellie still wasn't comprehending what was to come. It seemed like an adventure. She thought it would be fun to get in the boat and be lowered to the water, but she fully expected to be hauled back up so she could go find her mother and tell her all about the experience. It seemed like a much less pleasant affair for Mother Eliza, Emily, and Emily's two children. They put on their slippers, pulled coats over their nightgowns, grabbed life preservers, and ascended the stairs into chaos. They were ushered through a dining room to a ladder that led to the upper deck, then instructed to crawl through windows to reach lifeboat number four. As the boat pulled away, some of the women stood to get a better view of what was happening over the gunwale, but the crew, their hands busy with oars but needing to restore balance, lifted their feet and forced the women back onto their butts. Nellie, meanwhile, was beginning to realize the situation was much more serious than she first thought. Some of the women with her in lifeboat number 16 were fretting about their husbands, and it began to dawn on Nellie that her brother George, who was still on the boat, might be in danger. 
When we saw a row of lights go out on the Titanic, we were frightened, Nellie said. When we saw another row go out, we wanted to row back and get those we had left. Then came a crash, and the whole ship broke in half. All the lights went out. The broken parts went down, and we heard the screams of those left behind. Oh, I want to forget those screams. The Titanic sank at 2.20 a.m. in the early morning hours of April 15, taking more than 1,500 lives. Eliza and Emily in another lifeboat said bodies were floating all around them. Sailors in their boat rescued seven men from the icy water. Hypothermia had made them mad. They were babbling and hard to manage, and other men had to wrestle them down and sit on them to stop them from rocking and overturning the lifeboat. Two of those men died from exposure before rescue came. Just before dawn, the ship Carpathia reached the scene of the disaster. Eliza, Emily, and Emily's two children were pulled from one lifeboat. Nellie was pulled from the other. They described a scene that was full of elation as family members were reunited and heartbreak as others searched for loved ones they couldn't find. George Hawking was among the missing. Back in Akron, Sidney Hawking was shocked to learn his family was on the Titanic. They were supposed to travel a week later on the Oceanic. Sidney saw his brother George's name among the missing while reading a newspaper account. If brother is lost, I know it will kill mother, he told the Akron Press. Just when I was looking forward to a happy reunion, this horrible thing had to happen. Sidney and Sibley traveled to New York to meet the Carpathia and its 700 Titanic survivors. They collected what remained of their family and returned to Ohio. Eliza told reporters how badly she mourned for her son. My boy came home from Akron last December with typhoid fever, and I nursed him back to strength, she recalled. He did look so well, too, when we left Penzance. I only came over here for his sake. He was such a wee laddie, only 22 years old, to be left without a mother in a strange land. She hoped it would be easier to move on here in America, where there weren't friends, locations, and routines that reminded her of him every day. Here in this new country, which I don't associate with him at all, it will be easier, she said. But oh, if I could have only kissed the laddie goodbye. Not a word to the grave did he take with him from his mother. I was so sure we would see each other again. Dear, dear, what happy times we planned last Sunday on the Titanic when we should all be together today in Akron. Eliza Hawking never spoke publicly about the Titanic again. Death came again for Eliza Hawking on April 15, 1914. It was exactly two years since she sat in that lifeboat, watching the ship sink and fearing her son had gone with it. This time, Eliza did not escape. The day before, on April 14, Eliza took a streetcar to visit her daughter, Emily Richards. Eliza lived on Gale Street in Akron's West Hill neighborhood. Emily lived on Arch Street near the hospital. What happened, nobody knows for sure. She was discovered laying on East Market Street in front of Akron City Hospital. A streetcar conductor saw her lying prone on the strip between the car tracks. 
The conductor called to two pedestrians passing by, and those two men turned out to be surgeons. Dr. Charles Norris and Dr. Charles Milliken lifted the unconscious Eliza and carried her into the hospital. According to the Akron Evening Times, the only wound on her body was a deep cut on the back of her head. Eliza never regained consciousness. She was identified by a water bill in her pocket. She died a few hours later and is buried in Akron's historic Glendale Cemetery. But how did Eliza die? At first, police thought she had been mugged. The wound on the back of her head was consistent with someone who was bludgeoned before a robbery. But after learning of her history, others wondered if maybe she was preoccupied with thoughts of the Titanic's anniversary and the death of her son. Maybe she got distracted and walked into traffic. If a car had struck her, the driver never stopped. And circumstances of Elizabeth Hawking's death remains a mystery. Possibly compelled by the loss of her mother, Emily, her husband, and their two children returned to England before the end of the year. Sister Nellie married in Akron the year before her mother died, then relocated with her new husband to Schenectady, New York, four years later. So of Eliza's children, we know William went to South Africa, George died on the Titanic, Emily returned to England, and Nellie moved to New York. But if you'll recall, I also mentioned that traveling with the family on the Titanic was Eliza's sister, Ellen Wilkes. What became of her may be the saddest of all. After Ellen settled in Akron, her son William came to join her, and they lived together until William died in 1947. His death left Ellen utterly alone. By that time, her sister and all of her nieces and nephews were gone, either dead or moved away. She became a recluse and was discovered by neighbors in February of 1955, living in squalor in a home on Amherst Street, surrounded by years of unopened mail. The home had no running water and no heat, though it was the middle of winter. She was 90 years old by then. She suffered from frostbite and parts of her feet had to be amputated. She died a couple of months later and was buried in Glendale Cemetery beside her son. That was very interesting, and I have another interesting uh, stats here. Uh, second class on the Titanic. Okay. What do you, percentage of women who lived, what do you think? Percentage of women who lived? Yes, if you're second class. So was there a first class, second class, and steerage? Yeah, yeah. Okay, so second class, I'd say 70%. Okay, that's close. It's 86%. Oh, wow, good. Okay. Um, That's compared to the women of first class, 97%. And uh, second class children living, what do you think? Uh, I'll stick with your 86%. Oh, 100%. 100%. Yeah, 86%. Well, only one child died in first class, but that's 86%. Okay. But men, men in second class, what do you think? Oh, 5%. You're close, 8%. 8%. 8% compared to 12% for, or 32% for the first men. 32% for first in men. first class? Yeah. Wow. So total, if you were in first class, you had a 62% chance of living. And in second class, 43%. Third class, 25% chance of living. So, wow. Yeah. Now, was steerage below second class? Can you tell? 
Because uh, you always hear about steerage. Yes, My family it was. definitely would have been coming over in steerage. Right. What was interesting is more third-class men lived than second-class men. Really? Yeah. 13% of uh, third-class men lived compared to 8% in the second class. Wow. That's kind of interesting. I think maybe because they were maybe more street smart and wily and they knew how to get on those boats. Oh, yeah. Probably. Maybe. Probably. Definitely. All right. Well, that's it for our 10-minute mystery. We'll see you here Sunday for our next regular full-sized Ohio mystery episode. In the meantime, enjoy the rest of your week, and may all of your mysteries have happy endings. I'm Ken Harbaugh, host of the new Medal of Honor podcast from Evergreen Podcasts, brought to you in partnership with the National Medal of Honor Museum. In each three-minute episode, we'll learn about a different service member who distinguished him or herself through an act of valor. We'll include stories from the Civil War to Iraq and Afghanistan, and from all branches of the military. We'll talk about service members who were overlooked for the medal at first due to their race or religion, and about those who were celebrated at the time. We'll hear stories of soldiers like Audie Murphy, future Hollywood star who mounted a burning tank to hold off German infantry in World War II. And people like Dr. Mary Edwards Walker, a Civil War Army doctor and the only woman to receive the Medal of Honor so far. Learn about these heroes and more wherever you get your podcasts.